electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Lloyd Blankfein, former CEO of Goldman Sachs on America's new president and the market outlook. We're looking at a 6%, potentially even higher growth for this year with a lot of things that can go wrong and unusually a lot of things that could go better than expected as well. The Wall Street giant speaks out on SPACs, Biden's trillion dollar plus plan and Bitcoin's regulatory road ahead. This could be workable, but it will undermine the freedom and liberty and uh, kind of lack of transparency that people like about it in the first place. And Andrew Yang, former presidential candidate and now running for mayor on New York City's future. What we have to do is rebuild the value proposition that makes New York City the destination for business, for culture, for commerce. And that starts with the vaccine. Those big interviews, plus kicking the habit of anchorisms. Anyway. Anyway. Ah! I just said anyway again. It's Monday, January 25th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And it is a new week, but if you check out the U.S. equity... First up today on the podcast, is the honeymoon over? It's been less than a week since the inauguration, but some familiar fault lines emerging in Washington over President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief proposal. Just on Friday afternoon, the new director of the National Economic Council, Brian Deese, addressed reporters at the White House press briefing. What I can tell you is if we don't act now, we will be in a much worse place and we will find ourselves needing to do much more to dig out of a much deeper hole. On a weekend call with lawmakers, Deese and other administration officials tried to head off Republican concerns that the plan is too expensive. In the vein of never let a good crisis go to waste, the scope of this proposal is huge, including direct checks to millions of Americans, enhanced unemployment benefits, raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, and aid to state and local governments for COVID vaccines and testing. Broadly, both Democrats and Republicans in Congress agree vaccine distribution should be a priority. But it's that last item, about $350 billion worth, that some Republicans think is a bailout for poorly run cities. It's a tricky dance for the new administration, pushing big policy during a pandemic that is nearly a year old. Here's White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain on Meet the Press. I don't think bipartisanship and speed are enemies of one another. The need is urgent. Uh, Americans, both Democrats and Republicans, are dying. Uh, Kids' schools that take care of both Democratic and Republican kids are closed. Uh, People are on unemployment. People are in food lines. That's not a party issue. We dug into these challenges and the other side of the coin, the thriving stock market and expectation-defying economic data that show a brighter picture with former Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein. He joined us on Squawk Box today with his view of the aggressive economic agenda in 2021 and other headlines like the SPAC craze and even cryptocurrency. Here's Joe. Always a pleasure uh, to see you, Mr. Blankfein. Uh, thank you Joe, for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us this morning. How are you? 
how are you viewing the world right right at this point in time? We've had the inauguration. We, we're we're hearing about another perhaps as much as two trillion uh, that we're going to uh, try to to handle COVID with. Uh, that adds to what we're seeing already in terms of, of debt for the country and the Fed is the spigots are still open. How are you feeling about things right now? Well, about things, about the, um, you know, at the world in general, every day I get up in the last few days and get up and one of the major risk factors in my life has been eliminated, which is the uh, chaos, at, you know, the chaos in Washington. So whether I like all the policies or not, it's just, uh, it, you know, the, the level of risk has gone down. So I like that aspect. As far as what I think what you're really asking is on the economy. And at this point, you'd have to say in the near term, um, there is a big there's a strong tailwind of very low rates with the Fed saying that they're not even going to think about thinking about thinking about raising rates again. Um, and, um, you know, in, in, in general, uh, it's um, it's, a, it's just a very, very strong uh, tailwind at, at this point. Uh, zero interest rates or low interest rates for a very long time uh, is something, uh, you know, again, don't fight the old saw, don't fight the Fed is pretty intact. And that's not the only thing going on. There is a vaccine. Uh, and so there will be an end to this current crisis. There's a lot of pent up demand, pent up demand and enthusiasm. And that's going to uh, that's going to govern uh, the strength. I th I'd say we're looking at a six percent uh, potentially even higher growth for this year with a lot of things that can go wrong and unusually a lot of things that could go better than expected as well. I think you're like a lot of people, Lloyd, it, it, in terms of the, uh, the, uh, the 1.9 trillion that we're looking at. Uh, number one, th there, are, there are needs, it's urgent, we need to do it, but number two, there's nothing wrong with examining and, and trying to avoid wasting money. Is there anything else that really needs to be said uh, on that? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that needs to be said is let's remember what we're trying to accomplish here. I'm all for it and let's get it out. And there's a huge amount of suffering in this world. And it's kind of a bifurcated world where some people are able to cope quite well in this crisis environment. And some for some people, it's devastation. So we need something quickly. Um, but, you know, we shouldn't be loading it up with things that are very unappealing to the other side of the aisle. So I, I know over the past couple of days, you know, the minimum wage has been discussed on your show and that and. You know, something is, you know, I could see a lot of reasons for doing that as a matter of policy, but I wouldn't burden this bill with extraneous things unrelated to just injecting money where it was needed in the economy. And then to your point also um, is that uh, we shouldn't overdo it, necessarily overdo it. Now, I'm not sitting there with the figures uh, in the same way, but any layman could see that um, that things that aren't directly related to COVID relief you can leave for the policy legislation that will follow and that will and that and that and we can afford to have a debate over those items. Right. And also, well, let's put tax hikes and the minimum wage debate sort of together, because I, I know, you know, that you probably see benefits in both. But uh, it, number one, with minimum wage, it's a regional issue. Who knows whether it works, uh, you know, whether a blanket. You no, know, it's, it, it's complicated. It's a regional issue. There are kids in high school that are flipping hamburgers somewhere. I assume people still flip and not just robots flip hamburgers. Uh, but anyway, and so it's a complicated issue. Uh, the kind of survival income um, isn't the same in every part of the country. But at the same time, um, I think that people who work 40 hours a week should be able to support themselves but without it, government subsidies. Right. But it, and, and, and the government, stamps. right. Government is subsidizing these, these some of these companies that, that don't pay it. But you point out at the same time, it, it would put a lot of small businesses that are already teetering 
it would probably tip the scales in terms of solvency. No, that's right. And look, it's a, compl it's a complicated thing that's hard to sort out. Look, if a business can only survive by paying its workers less than they need to survive, but they're surviving because of government programs, then maybe those businesses really aren't productive businesses and they're not profitable and maybe they should go under. In any case, this is not that moment uh, for that kind of conversation. I mean, I could do both sides uh, uh, of the argument. Probably I kind of fake. I don't mind the minimum wage if it's, you know, targeting, if it adjusts for things like, you know, somebody's age or somebody or, or regional differences. But again, it's not that moment. And so you're going to get a political situation where one side of the aisle will accuse the other of recalcitrance. And, you know, the, the net of it all is that it, it will take longer than it needs to unless somebody comes up there and says, look, let's let's do what we need to do. How about tax hikes? And, and how do we do those? When do we do those? Uh, you know, we need to pay for it, but I'm not sure that I would do. I, I, I'm not dying to do that in the middle of uh, under these recessionary circumstances where, you know, you have the Fed trying to inflate the economy uh, and you have an inflation. Uh, uh, you have a spending bill coming down the pike to in order to make sure that we don't uh, that we don't uh, back back uh, back bend into a bad economic situation. I'm not sure this is the exact moment, but it has to occur at some point. And, you know, something maybe for some people, it won't make much of a difference and uh, it, uh, it could be done. So I'd say it's inevitably it's baked into the cake. It feels inevitable. I would be chomp if I, you know, the again, the left side of the aisle is, is chomping at the bit to do it. I would try to be a little bit disciplined and maybe put it off uh, later in the year when uh, when the recovery is very well established. And we know what the sentiment is going to be on the other side of the vaccination program and uh, the immunity for the herd. Hey, Lloyd, it's Andrew. Uh, I have a couple questions Hi, for you uh, about some phenomenon that's taking place on Wall Street, your, your old uh, haunting ground. Um, I want to start with SPACs, given that every single morning we seem to be announcing either a new SPAC or a transaction related to a SPAC. And just wanted to get your thoughts on what it means, whether you think this is a, a mania and, a, and, a, and is going to end badly or whether this is going to end much better. I think we're all just trying to wrap our hands around it. Yeah. Well, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, you know, my old my old life, I'm always looking at, you know, what the downside scenario is. And I, I've always found it useful to think, gee, let's say it did go wrong. What happened that made it go wrong? And I see with a spec, now obviously there are bubble elements in every part of the conversation. You can't, have, you can't make a commodity free like money and expect it to be allocated efficiently. You need some sort of scarcity and shortage so people are disciplined about how they do it. Money is, it, the, the, the world is awash in liquidity and one, you know, I'm sure the art market is, is bulging. And, you know, SPACs is, a, uh, you know, Bitcoin SPACs, another example, uh, uh, example of, uh, of that. In the case of SPACs, um, it's, um, um, you know, in the, in the case of SPACs, here's the phenomenon. It's, it's you're getting companies public, but you're getting pub them public in a two-step process where one of the elements of an IPO is dropping out. That is the discipline of IPO diligence plus underwriting liability. When this initial SPAC goes public, you're doing, uh, you're doing, uh, you're scrutinizing a shell company, possibly the reputation of the sponsor. When that company then despacks uh, de and mergers, it's a merger. It's not, uh, it's not an IPO that carries with it a lot of diligence obligations, and it's not the same kind of liability for an underwriter. There is no underwriter of that. 
And people talk about, well, it's more sophisticated, but we understand when something goes wrong, nobody in hindsight was ever sophisticated. And so these things, there are going to be things that are going to go wrong. Things are not going to work out well. There's other collateral issues like, is anyone incented to really drive down the price of what they're acquiring? Because uh, the, sp the SPAC sponsors may be incented to you know, get a deal done and maybe not drive the price as hard as they otherwise would. The person, the, 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 the company that's going public wants to drive it. And then in the absence of diligence, that's going to be what will happen. If a few of these go bad or they were overpaid and some people made a lot of money and investors lost money, people are going to say where, you know, you achieve the economic equivalence of an IPO, but where was the process and diligence that we all associated with a rigorous IPO diligence process. And that kind of drops out. Now, I'm not saying that they're all bad or that any of the ones that you could bring up are bad. bad. Some of these won't work. And I, my advice to people who are doing this now would be really, really diligence, really, really document. But, you know, again, in hindsight, if something goes bad down the road, people will look back and, you know, you know show trials to follow. Uh, Lloyd, you, you also mentioned the other main phenomenon on Wall Street right now, which seems to be Bitcoin, uh, which seems to be going mainstream. You have big firms now getting involved in, in ways that they didn't. Have, have your views either evolved or changed around the future of Bitcoin and crypto? Look, I've always been, um, you know, I'm not, you know, it could work. Um, it could work. But really, at the end of the day, you know, a currency is supposed to accomplish a couple of things. It's supposed to be a medium of exchange and a store of value. You know, it's a store of value that can move 10% in a day um, that if you lose the code or you lose the slip of paper, um, it's lost forever. Or if somebody takes it from you, how will you know? So it's, you know, the store of value element's a little bit tough. And as a medium of exchange, here's a problem. You don't know whether or not you're paying the North Koreans or Al-Qaeda or, 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 or the Revolutionary Guard. And at the end of the day, if it ever got big enough to be substantial and a real medium of exchange, how could the regulators, so focused as they are on anti-money laundering, and by the way, for good reason, uh, going back to 9-11 you know, when we found out that following the money is the way you can anticipate and maybe prevent uh, certain crimes. And of course, everybody talks about, you know, the illicit use of Bitcoin. If you cannot monitor who's getting paid in the financial system, how can the regulators, do we want to, do we want that to work out well over the long term? Now, this could, you know, like a lot of things, this could be workable, but it will undermine the freedom and liberty and, and uh, kind of lack of, uh, lack of transparency that people like about it in the first place. So that's the conundrum that Bitcoin will have to deal itself out. If I were a regulator, I'd be, you know, I would be kind of hyperventilating at at the success of it at the moment. And I'd be arming myself to deal with it. Hey, Lloyd, I wonder if we can talk about the big banks for a moment. They, they've certainly enjoyed uh, some gains over the last month or two. And part of that may be because the yields have pushed up. Part of it may be um, just because the banks can buy back some of their shares. But I think a lot of it is because the Democrats are going to be spending a lot of money to prop up the economy, and that means fewer bad loans coming through to the banks. If I could ask you just to put on your, your risk assessment hat from your previous life, what, what do you think when you look at the banks right now in terms of where the risks are and, and, and whether you see continued gains there? Well, I think that bank, banks have been 
kind of they 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 check a number of, of boxes now. They're kind of a value trade in the market because they didn't really participate a lot in the big uh, in the big boom uh, that's happened so far. It's a bit of a a kind of recovery trade for sure. Uh, as the consumer, uh, as the consumer, you know, comes back in a big way, which it will on the other side of the uh, of the uh, of the pandemic, I, I think the na- I, I think in the absence of big problems and big losses, um, I think there'd be a natural tendency for the uh, you know for, for those stocks to escalate in line with uh, in in line with the other uh, others. You know, banks make a lot of money; they trade on relatively low multiples. And a lot of times, as a result, really, of the financial crisis, when people were worried about the solvency, banks kind of trade. People look at banks and talk about a ratio of value to book or value to tangible book. That's a kind of concept that's that's relevant if you're not sure that the company is going to survive and you have to kind of liquidate the balance sheet and see what you have left to distribute to shareholders. On an ongoing business, it really should be price earnings. And what is this? What is the earnings stream? And banks have a substantial earnings stream. And if you look forward to the other side of the pandemic, uh, there's no reason to think that will decline. It probably will go up. And the expectation also is that there'll be other things that will be helpful to banks. Better performance by consumer, less defaults, kind of a steeper yield curve as things tend to normalize. Uh, so, you know, it's not so much, gee, I'm so, so, you know, it's really great, although there are good aspects to the upcoming environment. It's just the absence of the reasons that cause banks to lag are kind of dissipating. And so they'll they'll rejoin the rest, you know, the rest of civilization. Hey, hey Lord, what's coming back and what isn't? Is new, are the big cities coming back? Uh, is business travel on the airlines coming back? Is uh, is are people going to go back into work uh, or is it going to stay remote? And how long is it going to take? And you got 30 it's seconds. All, it's all speculation. You know, we're all, you know, we all lived our lives in recent, you know, we're all, you know, we have a kind of zeitgeist and how we grew up is how we expect the world to be. And there's no reason for that to be that way. You know, once upon, you know, 100 years ago, <laughs> you know, there were no aggregation in the city. You know, we were an agricultural economy and things have changed. I think it will not change as much as the wildest forecasts, and, but it won't be the same because people have had, you know, a lot of this crisis has accelerated has brought the future in closer, uh, uh, faster than it otherwise would have come. Uh, and one of those elements is in, is in work and Zooming. And you know, once upon a time, you know, we would have had to travel and, and, and have done this call from the, uh, you know, from, the same, you know, from the same room. And clearly we don't have to do that. Why would we do that when we can do that? There'll be elements of it that we'll miss and we'll try to capture. Uh, how do you indoctrinate, train new people? How do you acculturate? How do you build a culture? But at the same time, a lot of it you don't have to do and people won't. Remember when they came out with uh, uh, CD, you know, uh, uh, you know, music change to, you know, CDs and everyone said, oh, my God, it doesn't have the resonance or, or the richness of long playing records that scratched and broke. <laughs> and guess what? It turns out it was it was good enough. And, who you know, other than, you know, kind of eccentrics and nostalgic people who's buying who's buying vinyl. And, you know, life, life, life moves on. And so there'll be an adjustment that has to be made. We could sort of try to be futurists and try to guess at it. But, you know, something we're going to find out soon enough because the future will be upon right. us shortly. Well, there's a lot of market cap still in a lot of places. And I just wonder uh, if, if that's true. There's going to be a day of reckoning for a lot of things then, I think, Lloyd, because we, we assume yeah, it's... there will be. But, you know, um, it's a benign, you know, we're going to look back and mark, you know, markets are never easy. 
Yeah. But we're going to look at this period in two comments. One is a real dichotomy between the real suffering in the in the kind of political system and uh, the buoyancy of the markets. And, you know, people are going to spend a lot of dissertations are going to be written about that. So you don't own any Bitcoin, do you? You know something? Um, I don't. But if I if I acquire some, forget everything I just told you. <laughs> OK, Lloyd, <laughs> do what I say, not what I do. All right. Thanks a lot. It's, it's uh, always great. Miss, miss you in Davos this year. Oh, that was always a highlight when you come on the set. And, and but we can do it. Well, this if way. I'm not what going, you, you see what happened. I, I didn't go to cancel the whole thing. Exactly right. As they should have. Uh, anyway, yep. thanks. We'll see you. All right. Be well. OK, you too. Next on Squawk Pod, New York mayoral candidate Andrew Yang on maintaining the Big Apple's appeal. It's all about the talent. If you feel like you can move your organization to someplace else and still have the same level of efficacy as an organization, that's really the key differentiator. And New York City has had the talent advantage for years and decades, and that's what we have to preserve and in some cases recover. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The original U.S. COVID hotspot, New York City, currently a microcosm of pretty much all the hardship the disease has created. That includes joblessness, small businesses suffering, an uneven rollout of the coronavirus vaccine and fears over new strains of the virus. Join us right now. Talk about all of this as a man who wants to run New York City, mayoral candidate and former Democratic presidential candidate, Andrew Yang is with us. Uh, Andrew, it's great to see you today. Um, help us with this. Uh, New York is a microcosm uh, of, of the country. And, and one of the things we're seeing is uh, lots of people fleeing New York City. We're also seeing them flee uh, other high tax states like California and elsewhere. What would you do to both keep them from going and hopefully bring them back? Well, you're 100% right that what's happening in New York City is emblematic of, of what many communities are struggling with, taken to a higher extreme because New York is more densely populated, uh, the costs are higher um, in, in many neighborhoods. And so what we have to do is rebuild the value proposition that makes New York City the destination for business, for culture, for commerce, for families, for schools. And that starts with the vaccine. Uh, we definitely need to improve the rollout of the vaccine here in New York City because we're having appointments canceled. And that's incredibly frustrating for those of us who want to see New York City get back on its feet as quickly as possible. But speak to the issue of, of taxes and the economy. Uh, you know, for many years, I thought that people actually weren't that mobile, uh, that people would stay in a place like New York City. People would stay in a place like San Francisco because of the ecosystem. Now you're seeing some of the wealthiest uh, New Yorkers who represent some of the biggest tax dollars for the city fleeing to places like Miami. Uh, in California, people flying and moving effectively to places like Austin. What would you do about that? I talked to some of those 
individuals and people who are running organizations, Andrew. And the reason why they've been based in New York City for so long is because the talent is more densely concentrated here and they can build stronger organizations. So what we have to do is we have to make it so that those families that have made New York City their home, have their schools open, they can enjoy all of the, the uh, opportunities here that we've taken advantage of for so long. But it, it's all about the talent. If you feel like you can move your organization to someplace else and still have the same, uh, same level of efficacy as an organization, that's really the key differentiator. And New York City has had the talent advantage for years and decades, and that's what we have to preserve and, and in some cases recover. But you understand the world of technology better than most. And I think it's clear that one of the lessons of this pandemic is we're all doing this remotely. Um, I actually am in New York City, but I could be in Hawaii interviewing you and uh, potentially working with you. Uh, people live on Slack today. Doesn't that change this dynamic of talent in one city? There are some people like you and I who might be able to beam in uh, from anywhere, but you have to think about the folks who are coming up within organizations, Andrew. And I've talked to CEOs and they say, and I know this because I've been here too, it is very hard to build a culture over Zoom. Uh, you know, like if you're someone like you who's been in the field for years or more, then you have a following, you can do your work from anywhere. But if you're still trying to develop and then climb within an organization or even understand what that organization is about, you have to be around other people in that organization. And that is what New York City has provided for so many organizations, big and small, for years and decades. And that still is what New York City provides. It's very, very hard to have a young person develop remotely um, uh, you know, from day one. It's very difficult. Andrew, it's Becky. Thank you for being with us today. Um, I, I think one of the things Andrew's getting at is, is this idea that taxes are, are so high already and they're going to grow. Governor Cuomo has already put forth a budget that would raise New York City taxes to 14.7 percent for the highest earners. That's the highest in the country. Um, I know you have plans to do things like to, to make sure you're giving checks to, to people on a regular basis in New York City. And I just wonder how you pay for that and, and how you deal with a, a tax structure that's already so stretched to the highest levels in the country. Well, I think, you know, I'm a, a numbers guy. There are opportunities uh, to generate revenue in New York City. So it shouldn't all be about uh, increasing taxes. Uh, but again, it has to be about reconstituting the value proposition, because the fact is that there have been people who've been paying higher taxes in New York City for a long time. Like, like it's not news to them that uh, that taxes are, are higher here. And there are many people who have invested um, hundreds of millions of dollars in different ways in New York City and need the city to come back. So there are folks who are more mobile, but there are folks who are very deeply entrenched here. And because of the vastness of the New York City economy, if New York City was a country, it would be the 11th biggest economy in the world. It's a very large, diverse economy, and there are many organizations that are very place-based here that will be here for years to come, and they're the ones that are trying to invest in the recovery. Uh, but just to the, the tax piece, because I think it is, it is critical, um, you are, it, New York's always had high taxes. There, there's no question. And people have been willing to pay those taxes for the benefits that the city provided. Now there are questions about... Um, policing in the city. There are questions about safety in the city. Um, clearly, in a post-pandemic world, 
the world of theater and all of the accoutrements that the city has 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 provided for so many um, may not be as appealing as before. And I want to read you uh, from, from this is from The Wall Street Journal, uh, an op ed that said, even if I, this is not me, this is the writer, even if I were indifferent to working the first eight months of the year for the government. And by the way, that's the tax piece we're talking about. Eight months at the highest tax rate. What about my employees and the many talented and ambitious young people who are the future of New York? How will they feel about the difficulty in building a business and a life in a city and state that are driving away their tax base and will face declining public service? This is from The Wall Street Journal. Uh, again, uh, people have been willing to pay a premium to be here in New York City because of the opportunities, both to them individually uh, and uh, as uh, people who are trying to grow businesses. You know, having run businesses myself, again, the key is talent. If you feel like you can get the talent you need in an environment like New York City, then you will pay a premium. And we've seen over and over again that that pays off. Because we're in a, a very, very competitive economy where the winners tend to, to take in more uh, of the value. So if you think that being in New York City is your recipe for success, then it's worth some extra money. Uh, and so really the key is whether that recipe for success still holds. And I'm convinced that it does. As someone who's run organizations, it is very, very hard, again, to build up a culture if everyone's in five different places over Zoom. You can do that if the people are more experienced and have been there for a while, but from day one, it's very, very hard. Andrew, speak to the issue of policing in New York. There are a number of large businesses and small that are calling for law and order. They, they suggest that the next mayor should be much more focused on law and order. At the same time, there are important uh, protests taking place in this, in this city and around the country about Black Lives Matter and the relationship between the public and, and the police does appear to be strained. What do you do about it? Well, you have to do both things at once, Andrew, where you need to bring down the crime rate, let people know that it, it's safe to, to walk the streets at night. And a lot of this is around uh, foot traffic and emptiness. I mean, we're missing 60 million tourists, over 10,000 small businesses have shut down, and that's leading to an atmosphere uh, of lower safety. And at the same time, as you suggested, you need to change the culture of the NYPD so that people don't fear civil rights abuses at the hands of police officers, particularly if you're a person of color in the city. So these two things are not mutually exclusive. You can do them both. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to suggest that the key, again, is the vaccine, because if you have reopening storefronts and more people walking the street, then that's going to be a safer street. Andrew Yang, we appreciate uh, you joining us this morning. We hope to uh, follow your progress and uh, continue to have these conversations uh, throughout the election period. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Andrew. Have a great day. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Becky, I, I'm getting some uh, advice from, from one of our producers to do the Leno instead of anyway, do, do the, hey, did you see this? Uh, or, or did you hear about this? I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I was what? thinking you could do the anchorman thing and go, in other news. I could do that. Shifting gears. Do- yeah. How many times does the average TV person say absolutely in, in the answer to a question? Have you, ever, have you noticed that? I, I, I see it now on, on some competing networks, and I, I, I have to turn it off. Because it's not absolute. Nothing is absolute. And it's, I, I don't know. It's anyway. Kind of the same thing ah! as good question. It makes you feel good. I just said yeah. anyway again. How about take a listen? <laughs> there are people that every soundbite that they toss to, they say take a listen. Every single time, like Anchor School. Anyway, did you OCD see this? kicking into high gear here on Squawk Box this morning. <laughs> and that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you think on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.